In this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, Jane and I are starting a conversation about motivation and discipline and how those concepts inform our lives. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, a field guide for the storytellers of the world. This is a deconstruction arts podcast that examines the world around us and looks at how day-to-day inspirations help storytellers create. I'm co-artistic director and explorer of thought, Jane Rose. And I'm Tavi Stutz, the other artistic director of deconstruction arts and a lover of love. On this episode of Inspiration is Everywhere, we are going to be talking about motivation and discipline. I cannot tell you how excited I am to dig into this one. I'm super excited about this one as well. This one was so interesting because I, you know, of course I did research like we always do, but it feels like one that I have the most personal things to say about because I had different pathways of, you know, both motivating myself and developing discipline practices throughout different avenues of my own professional and personal life. And I would hope that people who are listening have a similar experience. Yeah, I definitely have a similar experience. I thought (laughs) I was debating whether or not I was going to look anything up or do any research for this one, just because I'm like, you know what, I've had a lot of motivation at different times in my life, a lot of discipline. Also, times where I lack both motivation and discipline. Sure. But I did do research. I thought the same thing. I and did too. I got very much enamored with the like scientific and philosophical and psychological aspects of motivation and discipline. So that's where I chose to focus my time. Nice. I started with looking up the definition of motivation, which Ooh. the two that came up were the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way and the general desire or willingness of someone to do something. Interesting. Yeah. So it was like the the sentences that they came up with it were escape can be a strong motivation for travel and keep staff up to date and maintain interest and motivation. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't look up the dictionary definition of motivation. I did look up the dictionary definition of discipline. Before I get to that though, there was something that came up right away with um, motivation that I'm not sure if you came across or if you have any opinions on, I'm sure you have opinions on it, which is the idea of state-based motivation versus reward-based motivation. Mm-hmm. So state-based motivation being where you're looking towards a future goal or a future state of oneself versus reward based motivation where you're looking at like a tangible something at the completion of the task. I was on, I found a few different things, but the one that I enjoyed the most was uh, on lifehack.org. And they were saying that there's two basic motivations and then everything falls underneath that. So basically like if you're making an outline, the top of the outline are intrinsic motivation or extrinsic motivation, which means it's either coming from in, from a place of internal inside you or outside of you by mm-hmm. somebody else telling you to do it. So it's like, I guess the example would be like, I want to lose weight so that I can feel good and healthy in my body. Or somebody's telling me to lose weight because I'm out of shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So like, 
are you doing it because you thought of it or someone else is telling you to do it? And then there are like several other forms of motivation that fall like into that sort of thing. So kind of what you're talking about a little bit is like achievement based motivation. So like you're trying to achieve a goal. So you want to reach a certain state that you had brought up or what was the other one that you said? So it's state-based and reward-based. It more loosely translates to kind of like a long-term view of motivation versus a short-term. So it's like state-based would be more of the long-term view of motivation where you're looking at, I want to reach this point. And so I need to complete these things. And that's what's going to keep me motivated. Like I we're both aerialists. So an example would be, I want to do this specific trick. I'm not strong enough to do it now. That means that that's going to guide my training if I'm going to complete this goal. Mm -hmm. That would be state-based motivation. I'm looking to actually change the state that I'm in now and be able to reach a different state. Versus reward-based would be, I am going to go to a aerial class and at the end of it, that means I've burned calories. So now I can give myself a cookie. Yay. And it's sort of short lived. And so every single time you have to continue to give the rewards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I, what I found was that we called that um, incentive motivation, mm-hmm. reward based. So that that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Which one do you find yourself doing more? Just like thinking about, because we're talking about very similar things that, and that, you know, was something I found as I was digging through stuff is that they'd, like, like many times, yeah. the, you know, the psychologist and the scientist would be like, we're going to take this one thing. It's all the same. We're going to talk about it in 8 million different ways. And you're like, cool, it's all the same. Although it is all the same, but it's also all different. I found, for me, it really depends on what it is that I'm after. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding is that everything takes motivation, right? To get up and make yourself a meal, you have to motivate in order to do that. But Sometimes I'm really excited to cook what I'm cooking and I'm that it is more about the process and going through it and creating a meal, whether it be for myself or for myself and someone else. And sometimes it's just like, I just need to eat. I'm not, I don't want to spend a half hour making a salad. Like, can I just pick up a piece of pizza from the corner and eat that? Thankfully, you're an adult. You can make those choices. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know about the adult part, but definitely have to make those choices (laughs) but yeah so the different ones were that I found were incentive motivation or reward-based motivation that you're talking about um fear-based motivation achievement-based motivation power-based motivation affiliation motivation so like getting to know people and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. competence motivation it's a type of motivation that helps others to push forward and become more competent in a particular area. So it's like, as creative people, if you're wanting to start be like, oh, I'm going to be a painter now. It's like, oh, I want, I want to become super competent in it. So now I'm going to go take classes and do this and do this and do this until I achieve that. And then the last one was attitude motivation. Yeah. One of the more interesting things that I came across in, in the prep um, and you had mentioned intrinsic versus mm-hmm. extrinsic was a, a series of studies done by a professor whose name I'm going to absolutely botch. He is Japanese. I'm so sorry. It is Kao uh, Murayama. 
and he's currently at the University of Reading, and he did a series of studies that he published called The Science of Motivation. And one of the things that he looked at in that study specific to extrinsic and intrinsic was in terms of like reward systems, mm -hmm. that, um, looking at extrinsic rewards in his study served to make people less motivated. Whereas oh, so a carrot or a cookie or a... Correct. Intrinsic reward gave people more motivation. So yes, if it was something like a prize, a trophy, a cookie, etc., that over time people would become less motivated by that. Whereas in the case of intrinsic reward, where it means that you become better at something, you get to achieve the next level, you can move forward, that that gave people increasingly more motivation. And where that becomes interesting for me is that you and I are both, you know, child of the child of the 80s. <laughs> and going into the 90s, we were kind of past this point, I feel like, but we grew up around this idea of like, everybody gets a trophy. And like that the idea of everybody having oh, a trophy yeah. is something that would be motivating. So it's like, if you're on Little League, and you're terrible, but you still get a trophy at the end of the season, that that's going to somehow make you strive to be a better player because you've got the trophy. And what they've shown is that a that's 100% not true. And it actually completely demotivates people. And that even having rewards isn't that much of a motivator because people are more motivated by being able to hit the ball more consistently, being able to pitch the ball further, being able to catch the ball with consistency, that those are things that actually are like better. Now I'm even more motivated to play because I'm a better player. Yeah, I would say that I'm that way. Actually, I don't even like stuff. <laughs> So it's like, if someone's going to give me a reward, like I do want it to be something that's edible. <laughs> like, here's a cookie. Sweet. It's not going to sit in the kitchen forever. Like rewards and trophies and things like that. It's like, this is just going to collect dust on my shelf. Yeah. But I always was bothered by those things. Well, and then the other part that was really interesting about this study that he had done was that as a part of it, what he assessed was that there there was no, because we always hear like competition mm -hmm. helps motivate people. And his studies specifically saw that there was no clear impact on motivation from competition. I would say that competition with motivation for me personally becomes more stressful. Yeah. Like when I have to compete with someone or compete, I get, is it with or against someone <laughs> when I'm competing? feels more so against than with. Well, I mean, it's like if, if what you're going to do is say you're the winner and you're the loser, then you're competing against. Yeah. And that to, that to me, that situation always feels super stressful. But I think it's also because I was raised in an environment where competition was rewarded. And I didn't feel that. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I wonder if my sisters would tell a different story. I am the middle of three. But I never felt a really strong sense of competition that was encouraged. And I really didn't feel competitive with my sisters. Well, for me, I don't know if my parents encouraged it so much as it's just like whoever yelled the loudest got the attention. What I was thinking about in terms of like competition among siblings, like I went to high school with a girl whose sister was two years ahead of us. And so the same age as my sister. Mm -hmm. And her older sister was 
valedictorian, student body president, member of multiple clubs, mm -hmm. sang in the choir, blah, blah, blah. And that did serve as a motivator to her. And what was really interesting about that in, and it was a, it was an interesting thing for me to see as a young developing little brain mm -hmm. because she was miserable, absolutely miserable. And I even questioned if she was doing things that she authentically had any interest right. in. So that's achievement-based motivation that focuses on reaching a goal or some sort of state of achievement, but then it can still be intrinsic or extrinsic, which is like, did she, did she work so hard because she felt that she would like, that's what her parents wanted. And that was that pressure there. Or did it bring her her own sort of satisfaction? Like, did it come from within her? Or was it put upon her to work that hard? So her motivation, it sounds like was extrinsic. Mm -hmm. I would read it as that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if she wasn't happy, then it sounds like it was extrinsic. And then what it ultimately pointed out is that her sister was valedictorian. She was salutatorian. So really, it just continued to show ways that she didn't measure up. Wow. Yeah, it was really sort of weird and sad and enlightening to, to watch. Yeah, so that sounds competitive within that family. They were the same year? They were two years apart. Okay, two years apart. Yeah, they weren't twins, but they were, they were two years apart. And like me personally, I've, I've never enjoyed competition. Like I did not enjoy competition to the point where I decided to not be a performer when I was 18 years old. I went to design school instead mm, mm. because the idea of being assessed in a competitive manner in auditions and having that be my existence, I decided I would not mentally be able to handle that. And I was probably correct about myself. That's so funny because I never viewed audition, which it is, as you bring it up, like that's, it is a competition. There's only one role and there's however many people going after it. It's definitely a competition, but I never viewed it as a competition. I always thought of it more as if it's meant to be mine, then it's going to be mine. Cause oftentimes, even when I did book the role, it's not necessarily that I was the most talented or the best, like the best looking or the, t I'm never the tallest at any of these things or the blondest for that matter. Uh, <laughs> But just that it like the energy matched and it was a fit and that's meant to be mine because, because I got it. And I mean, I even remember spe some specific auditions where I did not think I was the most talented person in the room, but I got the job. Hmm. Yeah, mine definitely came from a lot of lack of self-esteem. And then also sort of this coupling that with my unfortunate we're fortunate ability to understand what's underneath the hood of almost anything. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and so I knew that it wasn't about my skills. I knew that it would be instances where mm -hmm. someone would be, you know, chosen for not skill-based reasons. And mm -hmm. I'm also insanely introverted. So I'm not the person who walks into the room and instantly, you know, commands the spotlight and throws it all on me. That's just not my personality. And so there was a decisive decision to spend my time on things that I could focus on, mm -hmm. develop a plan of motivation and discipline and work on those skills and yeah. have that be rewarded in a manner that wasn't what felt subjective and mm -hmm. competitive in some of the assessments of performance. 
Yeah, a, f- a friend of mine who's also a teacher, Paul Gleason, or he has been a teacher, an acting teacher for many, many years. He says that the audition starts as soon as the auditioner is aware that the auditionee is in the room. It doesn't even have to be seen. Like if they're looking the other way, like taking a sip of coffee or whatever, and they and they can like sense the person walking into the room or they see them out of the peripheral of their vision, like that's when the audition starts. So it's not when you start reading the scene or start dancing your routine or whatever. It's really an energetic thing between the casting director and the person that's there auditioning, which I think is true. Yeah, what's interesting is that that didn't take away my love of performance. I just decided to do it differently and yeah. come back to it as a as an adult with a completely different set of skills. Yeah. Under my belt. It's been a very weird, weird ride. I would say a very cool ride. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I liked about our conversation earlier with Michael Cass about storytellers and that we don't need a villain for a story to be told. Yeah. Like we need a person that's a villain in order to have a story. And it's and I would say like that's similar in your story. Like the villain was not necessarily necessarily a person, but was the competition or the idea of competition for you. Yeah. That that it's not someone forcing that on you. It's you saying, I don't want to be competitive. You're choosing to step out of that. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because it's like for me, competition and this sort of speaks back to this article that I, I was actually like, oh, I like that I found this because because I actually do find competition to be incredibly demotivating. Yeah. It actually doesn't make me want to work harder or be better because at the end of it, I look at it and go, it's arbitrary. Yeah. Like, especially with artistic competition. Yeah. You know, like oh, sure. Saying I liked this better than that. And you're like, why? And they're like reasons. Because <laughs> I said. Awesome. I'm so glad that there were reasons that you can't even point to. Yeah. I often am motivated by competition. However, I don't think it yields the best result out of me when there is competition. Mm. So, I mean, so much so just like playing games with friends, like if we're playing card games, like I, I start again, I think it's from childhood, like we're embedded in this idea of comp or I was embedded with this idea of competition. So the cards come out, I'm like, yeah, let's get in there. We're playing games. And I, I like literally have to pull myself back and be like, calm down, take a breath, relax. (laughs) It's just a game. But the game's called war. (laughs) Yeah. But I will often not play games. I'll even go to game nights that my friends are having and I will not play the game. I'm like, I'm just here to support and have a good time. Yeah, because it, 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 it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. I wonder if there's a thread between introversion and, and not wanting competition and extroversion and enjoying it. Because you're definitely more extroverted than I am. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean it's possible. It's definitely, it's definitely possible. I mean, I'm definitely more extroverted than you are, but saying it's definitely possible that there's a correlation between. I mean, that one is a hundred percent true. The competition. <laughs> yeah. What I w- really kind of want to talk about a little bit is this idea of fear-based motivation. Mm-hmm. And this, this website that I brought up before, the lifehack.org says that it's extremely powerful as long as the fear is strong enough to prevent you from quitting. When you become accountable either to someone you care about or to the general public, you create a motivation for yourself that is rooted in the fear of failure. 
So this idea of fear-based motivation can still be intrinsic or extrinsic. And if it's intrinsic, that means you don't want to be seen as a failure by your whatever, but you're like putting that on yourself versus I feel like fear-based motivation extrinsically would be like, oh God, this is a, this is a depressing one to get into. As you're talking, it's hilarious because I'm like, cool, I feel about failure the way I feel about competition. I, I don't think that it's a good motivator unless you've introduced that it's completely fine to fail. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because failure is the best teacher. For I sure. A shitty fucking job of it in the United States because we set up this idea that failure is the worst possible thing that you can do. And if you fail at anything, you are a tragic, tragic lack of human. Bruh! And, and that's absolutely not what failure is. Like if you go into something completely open and completely like, I'm going to give this everything I got and I know that I might fail and that's fine. I'm then going to look at it and understand why I failed and that's going to let me get better. And you have that supportive system that will actually allow for it. Failure is amazing. But as you described it, I was having like these terrible flashbacks where I'm like being told that I can't fail and everything has to be right. And if it isn't, you're going to be fired and all of this type. And I'm like, (laughs) please God, no. Yeah. Wait, oh, you had said something earlier and I wanted to add on to that because it was so good. Was it the American idea of failure? Yeah. Oh yeah, being American and fear of failure. Yeah, and failure being a teacher. It's such, it is a great teacher. And, oh man, I don't remember what it was. Oh, I, so yes, I agree with you. And I think with, in America, why there's so much, dep- I can only speak of the American experience because this is where I am and this is what I know. So I think that, and I see a lot of depression in America. And I think part of it is because of that. There's a lot of people that are trying something and fail and see it as they are a failure versus seeing it as I'm a student in life. And now this is just one step closer to becoming an A plus student that they see it as like, oh, I'm a failure. And now what am I going to do? Yeah. So it's like fear-based motivation. Like if I was going to think of a way that I could apply fear-based motivation into something that feels Positive is even the wrong word for me. Um, Did you say productive? Or constructive, but yeah. Yeah, constructive. Like that fear-based motivation in a constructive way would be not something that is played out over a lengthy amount of time, which is what fear of failure feels like to me, where Mm -hmm. it's holding on to this fear that you're going to fail. And so it actually works to demotivate you. But fear-based motivation, like if I'm in the car with my kid and it stalls on the train track and I can see a train coming, you bet your ass I'm getting that car off of the train track. Like I am so motivated in that moment because I'm afraid, but it only lasts for that little bit of time. Like that's where I can see fear-based motivation being something that's constructive. Hmm. Yeah. The other thing, so, and I would say that's like intrinsic fear-based motivation that this train's coming and you're like, I got to go lift up this car and move it. (laughs) 
<laughs> my kid's going to get hurt. I got to like, I'm either moving the car, I'm moving us, like something's going to happen. Extrinsic version of fear-based motivation would be like, you have to wear this face mask, otherwise you're going to die. So it feels very like crime and punishment. <laughs> you have to do this, otherwise this is going to happen. Which gets us, which is funny, the other part of this conversation was discipline, but I feel like there's even still so much more to say about motivation, but that kind of idea of bringing up punishment now kind of leads us into what you found the definition of. Yeah, so I'll read that. We can kind of talk about, continue talking about them. And then there's there's some ways in which my brain pulls these together because they're, I mean, like they're obviously interrelated, like motivation, discipline, and then the the primary focus of our podcast inspiration they all fit together they have a like a handoff type of role that that occurs the dictionary definition of discipline is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience oh my god could you imagine you can't do the splits that's it gonna punch you now well i mean i don't know about you but i was pushed into the splits Oh, yeah. Oh, actually. Yep. When my little bones had not quite fused, I was pushed into the splits by a, they were Russian, of course, a Russian (laughs) uh, ballet, ballet mistress. But look how great your splits are. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those like, you know, it's like, and I've heard stories like Jackie Chan immediately comes to mind as someone who was part of this because he was Mm. raised in the Chinese circus um, and has Mm -hmm. talked about sort of the the disciplinary practices mm-hmm. of that and the and the punishment based discipline of For developing sure. skills in that environment i mean that definitely gets into sort of like that fear based reward based type of motivation that we were talking about it's like i don't want to get hit so i'm going to go ahead and do it mm-hmm. um, i think what's interesting is that when those stakes aren't there do you still have the ability to be disciplined? Yeah. Something else that I found and found kind of intriguing and not even sure if I totally agree with it. I agree with parts of it, but not all of it, which was Tony Robbins, who's like a giant speaker and um, he holds all kinds of conferences and people come and learn about themselves and others and like how to conduct themselves in their life slash business life and all that. He says that there are six basic needs and I'm just gonna read those off to you and see what you have to say about it. One is certainty and comfort. The next one is uncertainty and variety. The third one is significance. The fourth one is love and connection. The fifth one is growth. The sixth one is contribution. The first one, certainty and comfort, he says, we all have the need to know that we are safe and will be taken care of. Most of the people who end up in poverty or struggle through life have the belief that their needs won't be met and therefore it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The next one, uncertainty and variety, is we all have the need to be challenged and for there to be enough variety in life to keep us engaged and interested. Otherwise, life will become mundane and boring. The third one is significance. We all have the need to feel important and unique, that in some way, shape, or form, we are different and special. The fourth one is love and connection. We all have the need to feel loved and appreciated by family and friends. 
The fifth one is growth. We all have the need to grow and improve ourselves each day. The sixth one, contribution. We all have the need to give back to our community and society and play a significant role in being helpful. Yeah. Well, I was like, yeah, but also kind of. Or like maybe there's some interweaving in there that's like growth and significance. The only thing actually that I thought of when you were reading it is, yeah, those make sense. They have to be in balance with each other. If you're, yeah. if you're focusing on one more than another, then, but that's like, mm-hmm. anything, I feel like. Well, and then he says, after these six things are met is when a passionate life can be fulfilled. Where does this connect to motivation or discipline? Well, it's the idea of what motivates us. Ah. So in order to fulfill these things, we're motivated to fulfill these six different things, or we're disciplined to fulfill these six different things. And then we can live a passionate life or then we can finish our project or whatever. I don't think that that's how anybody actually thinks about their life though. No, I don't think so either. Like if, if those are if like, if that list is supposed to be what I'm using to motivate me, I would say that's pretty much not what I experience of anybody ever. Like they might be able to say, Oh yeah, that's actually, those are my goals. Like I want to be, I want to feel safe. I want to feel like I've made an impact. I want to feel like I've made a contribution but the actual things that would produce a motivation and then would allow them to come up with some sort of pattern of discipline are a little bit smaller and more specific. Mm. I think that that's good because if we were faced with a list like that, Mm. how are you even supposed to start carving that out for yourself? Where I was thinking is that the, the list is actually more, basic than that. He calls these the basic needs. I'm like, I think the basic needs are more simple than that. That it's like, we need certainty and comfort, like need some sort of shelter. I think we need food. And I think we need love and connection. And then once we have that, then we're open to find variety, find significance, find growth, find what our contribution is. Like all of those things can happen. But first, like the primary needs are just super basic. Yeah. And if I think about motivation, and this again does tie back into sort of the focus of our larger discussions in the podcast, which is that of inspiration. I really do think it all starts with inspiration. You become inspired by something and that then makes you motivated. And then that motivation needs to hand off to a discipline schedule in order for you to actually achieve it. So, you know, as a very tiny thing, tiny little little person, you'll go and watch something. You know, it's like, I remember seeing people dance when I was very little and like, I wanna do that. And so then you are motivated to go sign up for classes and then it gets hard and and you fail. <laughs> and, and hopefully you're not in a place where they ridicule you for failure and that you instead are taught to learn from your failures. And then you figure out how to turn that into a practice that then continues to re-motivate you, re-inspire you. And so it's like, it becomes yeah. a cycle where it's like, you're actually inspired by your own discipline. And then yeah. that motivates you to be even more disciplined. Yeah. That's, it's actually super fun that in that regard, it sounds like inspiration is a moment. It's a spark, Yep. right? Like it's not the fire. It's the spark that starts the fire. 
but then the the wood that feeds the fire to continue with that analogy would be the discipline yeah yeah there's a book that i love and when we were sort of talking about this conversation, setting up for it. I immediately thought of it. It took me a really long time to get through the first time because it's it's fairly dense and I wanted to really take the time to think about it. It's called The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business by Charles Duhigg. And one of the things that I remembered most from that book and paraphrasing this and interpreting it myself. So if people have read this book and they thought about it differently, that's fine. This is my interpretation of what I read in it. Yeah. Focuses on this idea of uh, a keystone habit. So it's not necessarily about motivation or discipline specifically. It's looking more at how habits can be utilized and specifically this idea of a keystone habit can be something that then sort of helps you figure out how to do discipline easily without having it be something where you start a process and then three months later, you can't stay on it. Mm. You you start lacking that motivation, you start becoming undisciplined, et cetera. And it's focusing on this one thing that you do that then makes all of the other things feel easier. And I can speak to myself because I did identify what my keystone habit was. And it was really interesting because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I Mm. thought my keystone habit was going to be working out. Mm. But I am a female who grew up in the 80s and 90s. I have some wicked body issues because of that time. Like I grew up on the magazines that on one page throw the extra skinny model. On the next page, they tell you to love yourself. And on the next page, they give you a cake recipe. And on the page after that, they give you a a whole list of ways to say to lose weight. And you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to be doing? Because I, you just told me that I hate everything. So actually working out is not it. And my keystone habit is waking up early and being consistent Mm. about it. Mm. I consistently wake up early. I work out without thinking about it and in a way that doesn't buy into some of those negative thoughts that I've had to combat. I eat right. I can get my work done. Mm. I'm very conscious about how late I might be staying up, what activities I would do, because I don't want to impact the next ability to wake up the next morning. I won't Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. So it's like that one little consistency makes everything else fall into place. And that's the idea of the keystone habit. It's that if you change one thing, everything else falls into place. Did he highlight any other sort of keystone habits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're completely personal. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's mine. That wouldn't necessarily work for anybody else. It might, you know, like, feel free to try it. Start working up early. And like, I even do it on the weekends and on vacation. I wake up at about the same time every single day. I am waking up early these days and I'm exhausted all day. <laughs> I'm waking up at 6.30 because this little one's like, rambunctious at 6 30 so all right here we go and um and then i'm and then i'm tired but it's because most of my time where i actually do feel inspired is at night so like i'll start painting or doing something at like 10 which means i'm up till like three there was something else that i came across 
which was talking about how to find motivation or feel good about your motivation. The idea of relaxing time being a reward for the amount of work you've done. So it was like, if you work for a certain amount of time, whatever that means to you, whatever that work is, and then your relaxing time can also be whatever you deem that to be. Often my relaxing time is like going for a run in the woods. I look at it more so in terms of like energy out, like what you're giving your energy toward, and then energy in, like what is feeding you energy. Mm. So for me, exercise feeds me energy. So that's like my quote unquote relaxing time versus energy out being like, okay, I have to spend a certain amount of time marketing the show that we're doing or sending out emails or whatever business I have to do. The stuff that I don't want to do is energy out. The stuff that I do want to do is energy in. And they're saying, if you, if you use it as a reward, your energy in as a reward, your energy out is going to be more aptly used and you're going to feel better about it because you're getting a reward at the end. And then with, you're going to feel better about your reward because you've worked so hard to get it. That makes sense. Yeah. What it reminds me a little bit of is a quote that I pulled from an article called habits aren't enough. You need discipline as well. Mm. Um, And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's by a blogger named Sam Davies. And what he writes is motivation is what gets you started and habit is what keeps you going, but discipline is what takes you above and beyond. Mm -hmm. It's like, it has to keep reinventing itself. Yeah. Yeah. And they even talk about habit as having a loop as well. Like that there is something called the, like the habit loop and the, the, um, the book that I mentioned, Power of Habit does specifically mention this, that there's, you know, it's like, there's the trigger, there's the action, and then there's the reward. And so it's like when you identify the loop, you can pretty easily step through those different things. So, you know, it's like if you work out at the same time every day, that's the trigger. The action is doing the thing. The reward is then how you feel afterwards. Wow, that would be amazing. In terms of like where motivation and discipline need to flank it is that motivation is kind of the reason that Mm -hmm. you're doing it. Like that's why your brain is telling you that you want to in the And the discipline is that you continue to do it even when it's not necessarily as exciting anymore or the motivation maybe isn't there so that you're not relying on this, you know, this excitement because inspiration and motivation are sort of like holding hands where the inspiration sparks. And then as you were describing it, the motivation is then the thing that kind of gets you amped up to do it. Mm -hmm. But then where discipline can sort of pick up some of the heavy lifting is that if the motivation is maybe not quite as strong and the excitement isn't there, but you can still get that sort of cyclical reward system going. Yeah. For me, that's, you know, that waking up early. And then I do find that I am more successful when I have an element of consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind as we've been talking is the role that goals play in Mm -hmm. this whole system. And at least for me, I find it incredibly hard to be inspired, motivated, and disciplined when I don't have goals. 
So you are goal oriented. It's definitely goal oriented. And it doesn't have to be like goals for anyone other than me. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess that would be similar to when we were talking earlier about incentive motivation or reward based motivation. It seems like accomplishing a goal would be a really good incentive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this, so this makes me think of a fun exercise then, which is sort of as, as we've been talking, going through this, we've talked about the inspiration being a spark, the motivation, then developing into discipline. And then oftentimes that's where the project can fall onto the back burner is when you start lacking the motivation and discipline. And then it just stays in that spot of, I had an idea once. So then the goal would be if you have a project that you've been working on, whatever the project is that you've put on the back burner, set a couple micro goals to meet your macro goal. And then I think there's a certain amount where, and this is, you know, earlier we talked about the American view of failure and how much I despise it, um, which is cut yourself some slack. Because the way that you get successful in discipline, the way that I feel successful in discipline is that I recognize that I'm not going to be able to do it every single moment of every single day. Mm. I will actually be more likely to fail sometimes. And when I do, that doesn't mean that the whole system goes out the window. That means that I just need to get back on and keep writing. Yeah. That's not just a this podcast lesson. That's just a beautiful life lesson. Cut yourself some slack and get back on track. Yeah. Cut yourself some slack, reignite your motivation to find your discipline. And then also assess why it even happened. You know, it's like, that's where it's like earlier I said, failure is such an important tool for learning, but it's only a tool if you use it. It's only a tool if you look at it and say what happened and not, not just live in the shame of the moment. I think that's something that very much happens. And if people are interested in reading about shame or the vulnerability that comes from it, check out Brene Brown. She is amazing. Mm-hmm. And we'll put some links into some of her stuff in that. But if you live in the shame of the failure, then you're just, you're not even going to be able to see what happened. Yeah, that's, that is actually really lovely. Tavi, this has been a really fun conversation about motivation and discipline. It was a little bit all over the place at times. So listeners, thank you for your patience. Clearly, we have lots of thoughts on it. Some of them are organized. Some of them, maybe not as much. But definitely a, a really important one to think about when you are bringing together this idea of inspiration and how to use it in any sort of manner. The, the concepts of motivation and discipline very, very much impact the ability to to actually apply it. Yeah, and thank you, Jane, for taking the time and, and uh, going through this conversation with me. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this exploration. And remember that inspiration truly is everywhere. So at some point today, stop, take a deep conscious breath and be inspired.